Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 377. Today is Sunday the 14th of June 2020. My name is Minter Dial and I'm your host for this podcast. First, a shout out and thanks to Casper Craven for putting up a five-star review of the show. Please consider the drop in your rating and don't forget to subscribe to catch all of the future episodes. This week's interview is with Suki Thompson. Suki is a serial entrepreneur and transformational business leader. She's the co-founder of the award-winning Oyster Catchers Marketing Consultancy, for which she is now chair, and previously founded Haystack and Bunker Gin well before it's trendy. She recently released with the world-renowned photographer Rankin a fabulous book called Let's Reset, which is the name of her latest startup. In this chat, you'll find out the value of having a humanities degree, how to face challenges and build resilience, and why leaders should embrace well-being at work. You'll find all the show notes on minterdial.com. Now for the interview. Suki Thompson, what a pleasure to have you on the show with your wonderful smile, great energy, and an extraordinary career. Um, in your own words, Suki, how would you like to describe yourself? Myself? Gosh, I would say passionate, caring, driven, and maybe fun. Mm, love it yes there's there's one photograph of you online which has your hair sort of in a blowing over your face and so I I thought that that is a woman who's not afraid I like that um one of the things that I love and and I was sort of digging into your your past as best I could Suki um you know (laughs) scouring you and from from the online you have a bachelor of arts in drama from university and uh, for having had long discussions with my daughter about the benefits of drama, I studied literature. And then, then all of a sudden you end up with an honorary doctorate and you've got a business degree. And how do you, how do you what's the narrative you have about that? And, and what do you take away from having studied drama at university? And, and do you think that's, that's something that other people should be doing as well? Yeah, do you know, uh, I think my mom is, is the middle of all of that. I was either going to read economics or geography or drama because I loved drama. And I think actually, you know, I was I was up for doing economics, maybe politics at uni. And then my mum said to me, you know, and I grew up in Cornwall, so I loved surfing. I loved doing drama. And she said, you know, you should do whatever you want to do. You have to leave Cornwall because at that time there wasn't really a way to stay wasn't really going to be the kind of jobs that I wanted to do down here. So she said, well, why don't you try? So actually I went to Leeds University to a drama school there. Um, And, and, you know, mostly I absolutely loved it. It was an amazing experience and it absolutely taught me, I think, three fundamental things. One, to think carefully about myself. I think actors have that amazing innate sensibility about their own self. Um, Second was to be curious about other people and to watch other people. Um, And the third, I think, was to do something you really love. Mm. So, you know, actually, I I knew very quickly that I wasn't a very good actor um, and I wasn't going to be able to do it for a career. I probably might have been okay as a jobbing jobbing actress. And I went on and ran a theatre and and did a bit of bits and pieces. But it's put me in great stead. And I think now, actually now, because I do a lot of presenting, I spend a lot of time doing this sort of thing. um, And I love talking and coaching and mentoring. 
um, it's helped me not be too scared of doing that because mm. I think I would have been much more scared if I hadn't. Um, and then I think obviously for my work now, which is much more around thinking um, about cultures, it's enabled me to do that. But I think the reason I then went on to do other degrees and I did a postgrad in marketing and then, as you say, uh, um, an MBA, and then I got a brilliantly and kindly um, Coventry University have given me an honorary doctorate. What a lovely, um, lovely thing to have. Which is so amazing. Um, but it's because I didn't feel that drama was a proper degree. So mm. when all my friends were going off to be lawyers and serious people, and, you know, really serious people. Um, they go, yeah, but of course you've done drama, Suki. And then of course you work in advertising. Yeah. So I thought. Pro well, probably, gonna... probably with the other potential underthoughts, which is you're a woman and, you know, and yeah. blonde and attractive, you know, I'm, I'm thinking yeah. that there might've been these kind of things too, parentally or yeah. others. Yeah. You know, I, I think you're probably right. And so I just kept going. And I remember when I wanted to do my MBA, I went to my agency at the time and said, can I do this? And they went, no, you can do an advertising course and we'll pay for that, but we won't pay for you to do a part-time MBA. So actually what I did was I went to a few clients and it's a wonderful man called Jonathan Mendel from, who was the marketing director at M&S. And he said, look, you should absolutely do it do the dissertation on something really interesting and we will buy the research. Wow. And so I went to three or four clients um, and I sold the research that I did, which was around financial services and targeting women in particular. And that's how I paid to do my MBA. That's a very disruptive and inventive way. That's absolutely <laughs> fabulous. I, I, like you, I, I mean, I studied literature and, you know, hardly you know, what, what can you do with a literature degree other than go teach English at a school? <laughs> and, and yet I've, I've carried with it the ability to communicate the, the idea of understanding words and also did a lot of drama and the idea of, of getting into the roles or the shoes of other people. So it kind of is instrumental to this concept of empathy. I wanted to just dig in one second on, you, on the first point, which is getting, taking care of yourself. Can you elaborate what you mean by, by that? Well, do you know what? I'm not sure that I did massively. Like many young people, I guess, I didn't take care of myself brilliantly um, until I first had cancer 12 mm. years ago. Um, and not, not because I, you know, I wasn't destructive. I always did sport. I was pretty healthy. I was always quite slim. But I never took time for the other things. I didn't take time for my friends, really. I didn't take time for girlfriends. I didn't meditate. I didn't do things that I purposefully looked after myself until my first cancer diagnosis when I, and I'd recently got divorced. And I thought, you know, for me, if I'm gonna be a single mom to Jazz and Sam, if I'm gonna run a business, cause I'd set up oyster catchers, if I'm going to be a daughter and a, and a friend and I need people around me, um, I better start looking after myself. So that's what I began to do. Mm. So really, um, Suki, there are probably a million topics we could discuss, um, including the fact that you were the chairperson at Marketing Society, mm -hmm. uh, a really great organization. Um, and a friend has just been nominated as CEO, probably know her, Sophie Devonshire. Yeah, so brilliant. She's going to be amazing. It's an amazing organization. I love it. And so supportive yeah. of marketing across the whole industry and, and the world now. Yeah, Absolutely. So um, you've done this book, which is how I actually got to a chance to meet you um, at, at the Like Minds event run by Drew Ellis. And, and you had a, a marvelous presentation 
uh, where you invited one of the people who was in the book. I'd wanted to, so the book is called Let's Reset. And, and I think in light of everything that's been happening in this world, it, it could hardly have come at a better time, yet probably an awkward time to launch a book. But what was the genesis of the idea? How did you come up with the idea? What is it like? You know, it was like, well, I'm, I'm thinking about the moment where you're like, I got an idea. So actually the idea came from my daughter, Jazz. Hmm. I, uh, and two things. I was chatting to my friend, Dan Gilbert, who runs Brain Labs. And he said to me, so what's your next company? And I went, I've done four. That's it. I'm 50. I don't need any more companies. <laughs> and he went, you're 50. Of course you can have another company. Why well, so with four? That, yeah. You know, so that, that started me in my head, I guess, thinking, oh, maybe I could do another company. Maybe I don't want to just become a Ned. Maybe I don't want to be. And I was in a, I'm, and still am a chair of, of the company um, that I sold to a PLC. But I knew a PLC world was not for me. Um, and, and then actually Jasmine is studying, was studying clinical psychology at university. And she was very aware that people were really struggling with their well-being at university. And she had begun to help and was doing some social media. And I said, well, look, why don't we just build you a platform? So you could have a platform and you could share your experiences and some tips and advice. And maybe your friends could do the same thing. And then from that, I realized that the work that I was doing, which is um, very much around transformation of businesses, particularly marketing companies and marketing departments, but you know, a lot of transformation, um, a lot of the programs that we've been running weren't as successful as I wanted them to be. And it's because we hadn't changed the culture, either within the organization or within, even within the department. Um, and I firmly felt that if you shift culture, you can shift performance. But as part of that, you needed to put the kind of well-being of people at the heart of it. Um, so that was all bubbling on in my mind. I'd met Rankin, the amazing, amazing photographer. I'd worked with him on a book around creativity. And we both had a real passion for how could we have the conversation around mental health and well-being in the workplace. Mm -hmm. And he has an extraordinary culture at Rankin and in, in over 80 people, you know, oyster catchers for me, the culture was so important. Um, and so I thought, well, if we're going to try and get people to think differently about their cultures and think about well-being resilience, famous people were all talking about it. But it was interesting to me that leaders didn't really like it. And when I talk right. quite openly, it makes other people open up. Right. But people weren't really talking about it openly in a business environment. So that's how I got the idea for the book. Mm. Um, and then because I'd been talking to Rankin, he said, well, he would take portraits of people. Um, I would get the individuals and they would tell their stories. And then it came from there. That's a wonderful idea. I mean, it's, it's remarkable how, well, I want to just tie some dots together that I'm listening to Suki. And, and, in, and the narrative in my mind is, wow, you have a very integrative way of doing things. And I'm going to just spin back the, the yarn. So your mother and drama, and then all of a sudden writing a thesis for clients, paying to write the research for you to go to school. So that's such a collaborative, businessy, but you know it's a it's a mesh that gets you through and then here you've got you know a portrait i, I think it's a hundred people working with rankin and you're and you, it's just this whole sort of 
pool of people that you're working with and, and, and organizing things together. And I, and I think that's a very, that's about a culture in just in the way you're operating mm. in everything you do and, and, and bring that in. So that was just feedback. Thoughts. It's really no. Do you know? It's so interesting. I hadn't thought about it in that way. You know, it's it's you know we're as we're doing this, we're still in lockdown. Um, lots of people have said how lovely it is to meet people's children and see yeah. inside their houses. Well, all my friends obviously have met my kids, but most of my clients have. Yeah. A lot of my work colleagues have met my children, mm. and. Um, I kind of find it fascinating. And, you know, even we were doing a, I was doing a, a live Insta with Rankin and then Rose McGowan on Monday nice. and Jazz was there um, helping me make the live feed work. And, you know, Rankin knows Jazz. Rose McGowan's like, oh, hi, Jazz. You know, and, and she didn't even know, hadn't met her, but she knew of her. I hadn't really thought how much I bring everything together, but yeah. it's, it is what I do, I guess. And I'm, and I, you know, sexist comment, possibly en route. Kara Swisher, the marvelous journalist uh, who's going to be uh, on our show, she brings her two children into her very well-known podcast, Recode Decode in the States. Mm -hmm. So you know them. And I'm just thinking that there's something about allowing the personal to enter into the professional, which includes, by the way, my own weaknesses, my own personal worries into the professional space. It just seems to me that it is more likely to happen if it's a woman. Yeah, I think you're right. I do think you're right. I think, you know, interestingly, in Let's Reset the Book, it was much more difficult for me to get men to come and open up and have a, have a conversation than it was women. Um, which is the complete opposite in many ways of, of some of the rest of my life where I spend lots of time bringing chief execs, marketeers onto stage to talk about what's happening in our industry, you know, how important commercial conversations for every, in that environment, for every um, one man I ask, I have to invite about 10 women. Hmm. And it was almost the complete opposite in Let's Reset. Right. Oh, that's, yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting, as I started Let's Reset, people would say, oh, it's so nice that you're wanting to talk about well-being. What a lovely thing to do. I'm like, you know, yeah, it's, it is really important. I'm really passionate about it, but it's a commercial business. Right. You know, this is around resetting businesses to be commercially better. Um, and there is a, there's, a, there's a bit of a sense of, oh, I'm doing a really nice thing. And, and But it's not kind of proper. It kind of comes back to the drama thing again, yeah. doesn't it? You know? Yeah. Oh, drama's really nice, but it's like not a proper job. But there's amazing actors doing extraordinary things. Why is that not a proper job? Why is thinking about well-being, talking about your own vulnerability, not a proper grown-up way of being a leader? You know, I, I think I'm kind of proud of my career. Yeah. Um, yeah, but for some be. reason, you know, it's, it's kind of not, it's not as good. It's yeah. not as good. And I think for me, when I saw... PLC directors and chief execs, and part of me really wanted to have that moment of being proper, being seen to be, you know, that kind of person. But actually, you know, when I looked at it, one, it's not that different. You know, you still lead an organization. It doesn't matter if it's public or private. You still have the same challenges. They might be at different scales, but you still have the choice as to whether to be a leader that shows their vulnerability and cares about the fundamental well-being of their people, or you are simply a commercial leader and, and, and that's all you want to concentrate on. 
it's it, there's a, a remarkable lesson I, I had, which really wasn't so long ago, where I cried in public. And it certainly wasn't the way I was brought up at all. And I, I, in fact, I, you know, any opportunity to cry, I would sort of hide away and I would, you know, I'd be like the, the crier in, in business class who, who weeps unashamedly, but by himself in his little cabin, if you will, um, or, you know, or secretly brushes away the tear, but doing it in public. And all of a sudden there's this, the, the immediate reaction is, oh my gosh, like this shame, oh, shame on me for letting it go. But not only did the people in the audience who were maybe 50, 60 journalists uh, think badly of me, I'm sure they thought better of me. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. But isn't it funny? Because we all do the same thing. We all go, we can't share. But when other people share to us, we really like it. So what is it that stops us? And we know what it is. It's a, you know, our in, our intrinsic fears inside us mm. those big self-beliefs that we have are very very hard to shake so even i you know i talk about this stuff all the time whenever i want to think about something vulnerable there's always a moment where i go oh, I, I, i'm not sure i can share that today right so you know one of the things we do every day with each other at let's reset but also with you know people i haven't done it this with you yet today is on a scale of one to ten one being terrible and ten being amazing how do you feel today about a seven about a seven okay. i played played sports this morning um it's a beautiful day and I, I i didn't get injured and i kind of look at that as a positive but my energy levels are certainly not where they were and so ordinarily i would have thought of myself as a nine big day uh, and I'm having a chat with you, but I'm definitely in a lower, and my wife, by the way, remarked it uh, just before um, about last night. And so, yeah, I, I am trying to take stock of that. And and my my road in through this has been to make sure I take care of myself, which can be parenthetically looked at as an egotistical activity. But I, I really have been, I've been actively looking at ways that I can spend time on me to be okay. And then checking in with myself, because I've I've had um, I had some very bad news recently, and I just I did you know just collapsed in tears, and in and these things well up, and so I, I just mm. let it go, and then I I, t I cried again afterwards, and I, I kept on crying, and I think that that probably is symptomatic of something underneath as well. When you need to cry, it wasn't even my mm. situation; it was a friend's situation, which was just as you know terrible, and so I. I I was shedding and sharing my grief through theirs. And, mm -hmm. and so, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a seven today. I think I'm good. That's but quite good know, compared to my normal day. Well, you know what? A seven with all that going on, that's a really good score. And it's okay. As you said, it's okay to not be okay. It's mm -hmm. okay to sometimes not be, not be a seven. It's okay to be a two or a three. Yep. Um, but sharing that sometimes helps. And it helps people around you, but it does help. And I think actually, you know, when you're in an airplane and they do the bit, the flight attendant at the beginning says, when the oxygen mask comes down, right. please put it on yourself before you put it on the person next to you. You don't go, my God, that's a really selfish thing to do. Do you? You go, right, of course, because I need to look after the people around me. So why do you feel that looking and thinking for yourself and looking after yourself is a selfish thing? 
It's the complete opposite. Yeah, society's norms that sort of come through. So one of the things that I've been thinking about uh, where we, if we want to let reset work at scale, we're going to need to have some big names give permission for this to happen. Yep. And no offense, but we kind of need some men because they still are running the, 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 the largest, you know, majoritarily there. Yep. And I'm thinking that most of us leaders who were programmed, if you will, before to stiff up or lip it and rah, rah, and, you know, I'm going to lead the troops mm. and, you know, that which does not kill me makes me stronger and all these kinds of epithets. Mm. We're going to come into a new space where I think vulnerability will be beneficial, but are we, are we, are we going to be able to, or are they going to be able to tap in to themselves, lean into the emotions they actually truly experienced instead of the rah-rah camaraderie or push for shareholder value that I have to, I've been trained to do. How are we going to get them? Do you think that every CEO has an issue? That's what I'd love to ask. Oh, um, look, I, I think we're all different, aren't we? And I think, you know, I, I, at the moment, I think we need um, leaders that are and leaders. I heard this expression the other day. So you need kind of both. You need people that are really commercial and they're in tune with their emotions and they're able to talk about that. We need people that, um, you know, businesses that are safe and you need people, businesses that are technically you know, literate and using technology to their best example. So, you know, you've got to have both skills at the moment, probably more than ever. And, you know, in the book, we have got some men that uh, I think have been speaking out, but also um, are realizing new things. So Dave Dinsmore is the chief operating officer of News UK. Now, you know, one of the things he said to me was, I think flexible working is really interesting, but I'm not sure that we can do that here at News. Well, you know, during the coronavirus, they have been working like that. He's absolutely opened up to it. We're doing a workshop with a whole bunch of their staff tomorrow around resilience and grit. We've done one with them around emotional engagement. You know, that's really different. And if you've got a massive news organization that can address well-being and, you know, flexible working that and, and think about the, the commercial aspects of it and the implications of their culture, that's fantastic. We've got... Um, Steve Parrish, who's the chief executive no, chair of Crystal Palace Football Club. Well, you know what? A football club is pretty macho, isn't it? You've got yes. a whole load of footballers everywhere, but actually they are putting well-being at the heart of what they're doing. They're thinking about the psychological as well as the physical and the mental and the financial impact on all their footballers and on their fans and on, you know, the whole work that they're doing. And I think, you know, what we need is more examples of this. Mm. We've got Matt Atkinson from the co-op. Well, the co-op has been extraordinary in this place, in this space, and their chief exec and their whole board are talking about well-being as important as the commercial imperatives as important as looking after their customers and i think you know it has to be part of the suite and the tools that they put at, at the top of the organization i think what probably does have to happen as we come out of this epidemic and we will probably have other big challenges that you know we know that well-being was important before um, but it, it has to carry on being even more important in the future. And whether you have a well-being officer or whether you have some external help and stimulus, 
it has to come further up and into the boardroom alongside all those other things that and the metrics that you measure. And I don't think it's going to compromise results. I mean, in fact, no. I have to believe it benefits results. But why doesn't the city and, and the shareholders, because if we don't get them on board to this idea, we'll still be clipped. Wings will be clipped. What, no, don't talk about that stuff. You know, I want to know what's the margin. I know. I know. So look, we know that diverse workforce, we know like diverse leadership makes sense. There's been measurement for ages and ages and ages. Yeah, right. What, what are our diversity stats looking like? I mean, you know, even though everyone's really excited, woeful, woeful. And now, you know, because we've got other things to worry about, like commercial outcomes, we're, we're going to forget about diversity again. It doesn't matter. I, the thing I think might be different, and by the way, it costs in the UK £34.96 billion a year in mental health issues impact the workplace. I mean, you know, it doesn't really matter which number you use. There are enough stats to say it has to make sense. The thing I wonder that might change if we can let it is that while we're using things like Zoom, while we're doing more talking to people, the thing that has changed during the coronavirus is people have genuinely asked the question, how are you? And right. genuinely answered it. And there are companies thinking about the well-being of their people because we're all going through the same levels of grief, the same levels of fear, resistance, resilience, opportunity, all at the same time globally, you know, kind of within each other. So we have to do something about it. And I, and I hope the businesses that begin to win, the businesses that have been doing this for a while, they'll come out quicker. Yeah, the flippant, you know, how are you? Good, you? Yeah, fine is gone yeah. We, yeah. we still need yeah. to find ways for that to sort of r remain within but I, anyway I'm, I'm very hopeful that that kind of thing yeah. will will show bear fruit that then shows that that is the way because if we can't yeah. prove it somehow it's going to be hard to move the needle in the city and the, and because yeah. the way that they work no, it is. And, you know, exactly. But, you know, I was talking to Carolyn McCall on Monday. She's in the book. She's apps. You know, they, they've got a whole campaign going about Get Britain Talking. It's absolutely there. And, you know, it's really a fundamental part of their business. This morning, just before you, I was talking to Paul Pomeroy, who's the chief exec of McDonald's in the UK. You know, they take this really seriously. They have put, you know, their university that they can't use, they're making into a well-being centre because they want to help their staff. They need to, they want to have a doctor that's there so that their, their staff get to go and see the doctor rather than putting it off or having to wait for a long time. You know, I think there's things that businesses, forward-looking businesses are doing um, that will make a difference. Yeah, when you add into, like, <laughs> the, the, I'm thinking now the suite of things that where I'd be running a company, I would sort of have to put a, a pocket of thought on. We've got well-being, we've got sleep, which is yeah. related, but another topic, but highly personal. We have eating to your McDonald's point. You know, how do yep. we eat? And why don't we not actually include in our learning for development things about how to sleep better, how to eat better, yeah. and how to be yeah. better? Instead yeah, of, of course, you know, you know, how to use Excel better, right? Sure. 
And the thing is, you know, we understand in business that we can train people in how to be a better marketeer. You know, so at Oyster Catchers Exxion, we train people to be marketeers. Amazing. You can learn to be a better accountant. You can learn, and you know this, you can learn about all aspects of well-being, physical, financial, emotional. It's just as important. It's just as important as a leader, but it needs to link into the commercial outcome. Yeah. I think the bit that's been a challenge is it's been in isolation. It sat somewhere in HR, probably right down the organization. It can't sit there anymore. It has to absolutely sit right at the top alongside all the other diagnostics that you've got to be able to run a business. The catchphrase that's running through my brain, isn't it funny that isolation brought this out? Yeah, yeah, it's so weird, huh? The, 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 the ironies, um, I love these kind of paradoxes and accidents of, of thoughts. Yeah, which is why you need and leaders. In a par it's brilliant, it's a brilliant thought of yours. In a paradoxical world, which we've now got, you need to have leaders that can do both, that can tap into EQ and IQ. Hmm. Beautiful. So a um, question that, that I want to end towards is, is, um, is on resilience. And I'm a big fan of Brene Brown. Mm. Um, but I, it's very confusing for me how to actually build resilience. Is it something that you can learn? I mean, I get the feeling like if you've gone through enough hard knocks, that builds up some thick skin. I got that as an idea. I feel like for having gone through some particularly difficult personal experiences that I've learned to put things into perspective. But do you need to go through those difficulties in order to gain the perspective? So how do you go about building resilience? I mean, I think one of the things we talk about is mindset um, and actually having a growth mindset. And I think you can learn that and you can practice it in the same way you can practice. You know, we talked about sport, getting better, doing yoga every day, doing mindfulness. So, you know, I could sit here now and say, look, I'm in isolation. I've got friends that are really ill. My daughter wasn't able to graduate from university properly. And actually, and I'm having cancer treatment. That's a really shit life. Or I could say, do you know what? I have an amazing view. I live on the beach. I've put all our programs at Let's Reset. We are now running workshops. We train nearly 2,000 people during a seven-week period. We are helping companies reset their workplace, working with very senior leaders that we simply wouldn't have been able to do if we'd worked in a kind of face-to-face -face environment. My daughter is a clinical psychologist now and helping people. And my son is happy and well and, and everyone around me. And I get to do a Zoom in the mornings with my second cousin who's teaching me yoga. I mean, that's kind of pretty cool. Mm. So it's the same scenario, but it is about the mindset. And I think you, and we don't, and I don't feel that every day. And sometimes I wake up feeling some of those shit things. And that's why I'm a two, not an eight or a nine. But I think you can really, really work on that. And I think it's not just something you can work on in isolation. You can work on it with your teams. You can work on it as a business. Um, you know, we do workshops on it. So I think you have to take responsibility yourself. Mm. But if you do it as a part of a suite of other things you do, you can learn that kind of growth mindset and, um, you know, the ways that you can, you can do that. The way I, I hear that is, is about taking perspective uh, with a group. Or yeah. With a group. I think that's sort of how I digested 
or the idea. Yeah, yeah, very good. Yeah, it is. Um, so, um, Suki, I think we could have probably extended this until midnight, at least I would have joyfully done so. I love listening to what you've gone through and, and clearly you've had a, a real journey yourself. You've done marvelous things. Let's reset. How can somebody grab that book? Um, it's it's a wonderful book, and I would have loved to talk about the creative outlet, the out, yeah, the, the way you've worked it with um, with the pictures, yeah, with three people and 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 showing with Rankin yeah. a very creative uh, layout. I mean, for the creative people in the world listening to this, you've got to check it out. It's it's absolutely startling, and I think that hopefully people in business will also tap into it and, and look at this really important topic yeah yeah well you can um we can you can buy the book you can buy it from amazon you can also buy it from letsreset.com which is our platform and there's loads of other information there's some little bits about the, some of the workshops uh, other people can post information or thoughts that they've got or things that they're doing uh, around cultural change so you can absolutely do that at the moment we've got a outdoor poster campaign running wow. um, with a great thanks to clear channel so you can see the amazing visuals of this one which is the face palm for, for thinking creatively and innovation the back of your head which was about the fear of missing out but now is FOMO. fo well yeah fomo but now we're talking about fogo so the fear of going to do things going back to work oh, going right. to to do lots of different things and then the, the whole piece we've talked about today around expressing yourself as an authentic leader or as an authentic person in business. A wonderful triptych. And how about anyone who would like to follow you or get in touch with you, Suki, what's the best way? Yeah, they can follow me on Twitter at, at Suki Thompson. They can follow with us at, with a P, with a P, a very important P. Yes. Um, they can follow us at, at Let's Reset One um, across Twitter and Instagram. Brilliant. Suki, thank you so much for coming on. Looking forward to staying in touch and tracking with you and, and remembering to reset on a daily basis. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's just a joy to talk to you. Thank you very much. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue show. You'll find the show notes and other blog posts on minterdial.com. If you enjoyed the show, please head over to iTunes to give a rating and review. And to finish, here's a song I wrote with Stephanie Singer, A Convinced Man. Man.
best-known investor and Wall Street expert Warren Buffett once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.